Uh, um, jumping back into a lot of Isaiah's prophetic stuff. If you remember last time, we've, we've kind of had this build-up, right? Through the first half of Isaiah, leading to God's deliverance of the people. Hezekiah, hearing the word, hey, the bad guy's here, he's big, uh, we can't beat him. He's all set outside the walls, he says he's going to wipe us out. And then God gave a promise, right? God's promise was, look, uh, he's never coming in. He's not setting foot. And if you remember last time, we saw the angel of the Lord come. 185,000 Assyrians die in one night. The army's decimated. Shennacherib goes back home, uh, dies at home, never does enter into the city of Jerusalem. Just like God said. So God showed that he can be trusted. He told them, building up, trust me. And then he showed in his deliverance that he's able, right? Do we believe God is able? Now you get to wrestle with, what if you don't? What if God's plan is, you don't get delivered? That's Isaiah 38. What if, what if you find out you're sick? And you go ask the Lord, Lord, what's going to happen? And God says, you're going to die. It comes back to the same point. God says, will you trust me? And we find really that is the barrier of the, the I don't know what you want to call it, the border, the limit of human trust. Will you trust God if he says, it's time for you to go. Race is over. And sometimes, uh, you know, as we look at Isaiah 38, so many questions are going to come up as we look at it. You know, a lot of questions. Um, ultimately, God's going to give Hezekiah 15 more years. But then you have to ask yourself, was that the best 15 years? Was it good? I don't know. Hezekiah fathers a son, and the son's not such a good guy. In fact, all of the all of the judgment that falls on Israel through Babylon comes as a result of his son, the choices he made. And then we ask the question, well, well what if he'd never been born? That'd have been better. And I always come back to this simple story. You guys have heard me tell it before and really it it hinges on the idea that you and I don't have the ability to tell good from bad right remember the story the farmer was given a horse and all his neighbors said oh man that's awesome you somebody gave you a horse that's great and then his son's out riding a horse falls off a horse and breaks his leg oh man that's not so good bummer that horse broke your son's leg then the general for the army comes through town and takes all the able-bodied boys but the farmer's boy can't go because he's got a busted leg and then all the neighbors say dang maybe it was a good thing he got that horse and then they go out the army goes out wins this incredible victory comes back with a bunch of gold but his son don't have any gold because he broke his leg on a horse and they say well maybe that horse was bad then a robber comes to rob all the guys from all the soldiers who came home with all the gold But they didn't rob the farmer's son because he didn't have no gold because he broke his leg on a horse. And somewhere down the journey of the story, you realize you really don't have the ability to tell 
if something's good or bad. Just because it hurts, it's not always bad. Just because it's easy, it's not always good. So when we face, we face what the Hezekiah is going to face tonight, when we take a look at it, it says in verse 1, Now, in those days Hezekiah became sick and was at the point of death. And Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos, came to him and said, Thus says the Lord, set your house in order. You're going to die. Well, that sounds like a very encouraging word of the Lord, right? Hezekiah didn't think so either. He didn't think so either, but his condition was he's dying. And the word from God to him was, it's time to die. You, you ran a good race. It's over now. The time is, is time to wrap up. And Hezekiah, this, I love this, this thing that Hezekiah does. Because Hezekiah does in verse 2, it says, Then Hezekiah turned his face to the wall and prayed to the Lord. So he turns his face to the wall and he prays. Prays, cries out to God, Please, O Lord, remember how I walked before you. My faithfulness, I walked with you in a whole heart, and I have done what is good in your sight. And then he wept. Is there something wrong with weeping? Well, that's good. Why not weep? If it's, if it's weeping time, it should weep. Ecclesiastes says, there's a time for all things under heaven, right? There's a time to rejoice. There's a time to weep. There's a time for sorrow. There's a time for dancing. And here, Hezekiah, this was time for Hezekiah to, to weep. He's sorrowful. He cries out on the Lord. Please, O Lord, remember. Remember. So the first thing he hinges on in his prayer Look, God, I'm, I am dependent on you. So it's, it's all about you. He's putting his, his hope in him, um, that I have been dependent upon you. Then he puts it that he has been devoted to him. I've walked with you with my whole heart. We see in Psalm 26, 1, the psalmist writes, Vindicate me, O Lord, for I have walked in my integrity. I have trusted in the Lord without wavering. Prove me, O Lord, and try me. Test my heart and my mind. For your steadfast love is before my eyes, and I walk in your faithfulness. Walking with you. And I'm walking with you with a whole heart. This is the attitude that he has. And we see a similar one, 1 Chronicles 28, 9. It says, And you, Solomon, my son, know the God of your father, and serve him with a whole heart and with a willing mind. For the Lord searches all hearts and understands every plan and thought. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will cast you off forever. The Lord searches. We want to serve him with a whole heart. One of the things that made David unique was the idea that his heart was undivided. And here Hezekiah, when he gets bad news, right? You're going to die, Hezekiah. He says, well, Lord, I've been faithful to you. And I followed you with my whole heart. Not a divided heart. And God doesn't rebuke it. God doesn't say, well, no, you didn't. Right? So he lays out this idea. I followed you. In First Chronicles 29.9, it says, Then the people rejoiced because they had given willingly with a whole heart. They had offered freely to the Lord. 
And David the king also rejoiced greatly. So this idea of having your whole heart given to the Lord. Psalm 101, verse 2 says, I will ponder the way that is blameless. Oh, when will you come to me? I will walk with the integrity of my heart within my own house, following him with a whole heart. So here you have Hezekiah. Look, I'm dependent upon the Lord. I'm devoted to the Lord. I've walked with you in faithfulness. I've followed you with a whole heart. And I've done good in your sight. And then he just rolled over, faced the wall, and wept. It's the same phrase, similar phrase. It's Hebrew, not Greek, but the similar phrase for what Peter did when Peter found that he had betrayed the Lord, right? He goes in and he weeps bitterly. And the reality is, well, this is before death had been defeated, at least in our time space, right? The Bible says that Jesus Christ was crucified before the foundation of the world. But for Hezekiah, he has not experienced that yet. He sees the promise, but not the fulfillment. So death is still a big enemy. Death separates. Death puts us someplace where, where you know, we, we, we can't, we don't know what, what we're going to be able to do, what we can, what we can do the next day. So, so he weeps as he rolls over and he weeps, it says, then the word of the Lord comes to Isaiah. So Isaiah is there with Hezekiah. He says, go say to Hezekiah, thus says the Lord, the God of David, your father, I have heard your prayer. I have seen your tears and I will add 15 years to your life. So he says, look, I, I have <coughs> heard your prayer. God hears. God hears people. And we've talked about this idea that, that God, your tears matter to him, right? They're not, uh, they're, they're not wasted. It's not for nothing. In fact, the Lord declares that he holds your tears. He keeps your tears. And I think that day when we come in Revelation, you know, 21 and 19, 20, 21, when we see God wiping away every tear, I don't think that's just the ones they're crying that day. I think literally he's wiping away every tear. All the sorrow you ever had, all the pain, all the heartache, all those things, whatever there is about that moment when God brushes his thumb across your cheek is going to take it all away. Every drop of sorrow. But Hezekiah doesn't know any of that. Hezekiah just knows my time's up. I come to the end of my race. And so the Lord, he cries out to the Lord. And really, the, the, the thing that we want to hold on to, do we trust God in that part of our life? Do we trust God in that part of the journey? Because after 15 years, what's going to happen to Hezekiah? He's going to die. Are you able to trust God when you die? When you cross the threshold? Because barring the return of Jesus Christ, we're all going to die. And can we trust God then? When you take that last breath. I've been at lots of bedsides in 24 years of ministry. Lots of places when people die. And I've seen both. I've seen people trying to cling to this life, trying to cling to what they have. And I've seen people very peacefully just take a breath and be gone. Which one do you want? 
And it's not so much what do you desire, how do you want to die. We all would say, I want to die in peace. Well, the best way to die in peace is to have peace with God. You have peace with God, then you will die in peace. You will come to that point in that part of our journey and you'll rest in Him. Because you've reached a place of trusting. Will you trust God at that limit? That limit of of our human life. Can we trust Him there? So He's going to give Him 15 more years. He says, I will deliver you. Here's God's promises. I will deliver you in this city out of the hand of the king of Assyria. So, you're not going to die and the king of Assyria is never coming back. So Assyria is never going to come back. He says, and I will defend this city. Nobody's coming in here. And this will be a sign to you from the Lord. You want, you want to know a sign that, that uh, what God's promising he's able to do. That the Lord will do all this thing that he has promised. Behold, I will make the shadow cast by the declining sun on the dial of Ahaz turn back ten steps. He turns back time. For Hezekiah. He says, you want to know that I am able to perform what I said? Watch the sundial. I'm going to make the shadow go backwards. That's, that's time going back, right? Time winding back in the opposite direction. So he's saying, this is what I'm going to do. So you have several things you want to pull out of here. He says this reference to the God of David your father. He says, I am the Lord, Yahweh, the God of David your father. Now, every king that came up wanted to be known as one of the sons of David, one of the, one of the kings like unto David, right? And what was the idea about David? That David had an undivided heart, that he loved the Lord, that he served the Lord, and he was a good king. What made David a good king? He loved God. David loved God, and so he was a good king. So when they would measure the kings going forward, if a king did wicked, he, he, that meant that he was disobedient to what God said. He didn't do what God's word laid out for him. And so he was not like his father David, but he was a wicked king. But if you were a good king, you followed the God of your father David. You followed the direction of that, uh, that the scripture laid out, uh, to follow the God of David, your father. We see an example of it, it says, of Josiah. In Second Chronicles 34, it says, For in the eighth year of his reign, when he was just a boy, so eighth year of his reign, Josiah, some say he was eight, uh, he began to seek the God of David, his father. And in the twelfth year, he purged Judah and Jerusalem of the high places of the Asherim, and the carved and metal images. So Josiah starts to follow in the example of David because he loved God. He didn't have a divided heart. He wanted to serve him. We, we spent a lot of time talking. We have Bible study Wednesday morning at six. We we're going through Revelation and, uh, and, and we, sometimes we talk about it and we say, okay, well, there's a lot of things about Revelation I don't know. I take a guess here and there. I'll throw my hat in the ring, but at the end of the day, I'll say, yeah, I, I don't know. But I usually follow it with, but it's not the things I don't know that worry me about the Bible. It's the things I do know. Because the things I do, instead of harping on the stuff you don't know, 
why don't we just start doing the things we do know? Right? So what is it? You know, Josiah, he's eight years old. How much does he know? If he's not eight, he's very young in the eighth year of his reign. And so he starts to, to go after. He wants to understand and know this God. Now, Scripture commanded that the king made a copy of Scripture while he sat on the throne. So perhaps during those next four years, Josiah, young Josiah, sat down and made a copy of the Scriptures, writing it out, which would require him then to read it all, right? To see it all, to hear all the things that God's Word said. So by the twelfth year... After doing that, what happens? He decides, hey, all this idolatry has got to go. There is no other God before our God. All this idolatry needs to come down. The Asherim, those were, those were poles set up in the wilderness that people would, would dance around, do pagan practices around the Asherim poles. So he said, pull down those poles, pull down the high places. We only worship one God. And so that makes Josiah a good king. Because he wants to follow what God's word says. And so here, when God is saying to Isaiah, go tell Hezekiah, there's something I want you to tell Hezekiah. Say to him, thus says the Lord, the God of David, your father, I have heard your prayer. So God is not disagreeing with Hezekiah. God is saying, you know what, you have been. You haven't had a divided heart. You trusted me. You trusted me when the Assyrians came. And maybe you're not ready to trust me right now. It's hard for you as you're facing death. But in the next 15 years, I'm going to get you there. I'll get you there. So he says, you are, I am the God of your father, David. And I have heard your prayer. And I have seen your tears. In Psalm 6 In verse 6, it says, I am weary with my moaning. Every night I flood my bed with tears. I drench my couch with weeping. My eye wastes away because of grief. Anybody ever felt like that? It grows weak because of all my foes, all the things that, that you're facing, all the things that you're struggling with. So depart from me, all you workers of evil, for the Lord has heard the sound of my weeping. The Lord has heard my plea. The Lord accepts my prayer. Psalm 6, the psalmist learns to trust in God. Even in his mourning, even in his sorrow, even in his weeping, he knows God hears me. In Psalm 34, 17, it says, When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their trouble. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. Now, what's the point? See, here's where some people get distracted because they say, okay, the Lord delivers him out of them all. The Lord delivers them out of. The the idea uh, in Greek is the word ek. Out of means from the midst of. So it's not a denial that you're going to go through hard times. not a denial that sometimes life's going to be hard. It's not a denial that you're going to hear things you don't like. That sometimes you're going to get bad news. It's not a denial of any of those things. What it is, is God saying that I will get you through it. So you're either going to walk the walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Or God's going to pick you up and carry you through the valley of the shadow of death. Or God's going to take you out of it. 
But any way God does it, you have been delivered. God will deliver the righteous through them all. So if I find out tomorrow I've got cancer and things are bad, then whether the Lord takes me or heals me, He will have delivered me through it all. He will be my strength, my shield, walking through the valley of the shadow of death so I might praise Him on the other side or praise Him when I see His face. But either way, I've been delivered. And ultimately, really, either way, I've been healed. The only time, really, that I'll actually be totally healed is when I'm standing before Him anyway. Otherwise, it's just a, it's just a partial, right? I'll get sick again. I'll, that's just part of life, right? Going through the struggles of life. I want to trust in Him. Psalm 39, 12. Hear my prayer, O Lord. Give ear to my cry. Hold not your peace at my tears. For I am a sojourner with you. A guest like all my father. So what's he saying? Look, look, I'm walking with you, God. I'm just walking with you. Take me through. Carry me through. Deliver me through. You're the God who brings it. You're the God who carries. We all probably at one time or another have been touched by the, the poem Footsteps, right? Where, where our footprints were in the sand and, and then, uh, we look through the sand through the worst times of our life. There's only one set of footprints and where were you, Lord? And the Lord says he carried us, right? You remember? Well, that's true. Sometimes God's got to carry you through it because it's too heavy, too hard. That's okay. What is the point of Isaiah 38? Will you trust him anyway? Will you trust him even though it's hard? Will you trust him even though I don't have enough strength to put together two days? I just got to figure out how to get together another strength, enough strength for one, right? The next step, the next moment, the next part. So God makes a promise here. He says, I'm going to extend your life for 15 years. I'm going to deliver you permanently from the hand of the Assyrians. And I'm going to defend the city. So Hezekiah's response is, is there in verse 9. So a writing of Hezekiah. So, so I just want you to picture what happens. Because what you're, you're not seeing the, the, the thing fluid, right? Hezekiah gets sick, sends for Isaiah. Isaiah comes. He asks Isaiah, Isaiah, am I going to get well? Kings did this often. The king asks the Lord, hey, is the king going to get well? Uh, Isaiah asks the Lord. Is the king going to get well? The Lord says, no, he's going to die. So the prophet looks over. Hezekiah, no, you're going to die. Then, then he leaves. Hezekiah cries and weeps and faces the, the wall and waits for his moment to come. Isaiah probably leaves the presence of, Isaiah, uh, of uh, Hezekiah. Isaiah probably leaves. And after he leaves, at some point afterwards, the word of the Lord comes to him. Hey, go tell Hezekiah, I'm going to give him more time. I heard his prayer. I heard his tears. I'm going to protect him. I'm going to watch over him. I'm, I'm going to give him 15 more years. And I'll prove it by turning the clock backwards, you know, 10 minutes or whatever, 10 points on the, on the sundial was. And so he goes and he delivers that word to Hezekiah. Now Hezekiah is excited about it. When a king got excited about something that God did, oftentimes they would write decrees. If you read Daniel chapter 4, there's a guy named Nebuchadnezzar. You guys remember Nebuchadnezzar, right? 
Nebuchadnezzar, he has this episode with Daniel where he, he comes to understand, recognize uh, something special about God Most High. And Daniel chapter 4, he writes a decree. There's no other God in all the land but Daniel's God. Right? This proclamation. Well, you have a similar thing taking place here in Isaiah 38. So in verse 9, it says, A writing of Hezekiah, the king of Judah, after he had been sick and had recovered from his sickness, I said in the middle of my days, I must depart. I am consigned to the gates of Sheol, that's the grave, for the rest of my years. So he says, man, I, I, I was only half done. I'm only half done. Most of us probably at the end of our days may feel that same way. I'm only half done and I, I, I'm consigned. The grave is all I have left before me. I said, I shall not see the Lord, the Lord in the land of the living. I shall look on man no more among the inhabitants of the world. So he's sorrowful for how things have turned out for the, for his, uh, coming to the end of his life. My dwelling is plucked up and removed from me like a shepherd's tent. Like a weaver, I have rolled up my life. Cuts me off from the loom. From day to night, you bring me to an end. So I calm myself until morning. Like a lion, he breaks all my bones. From day to night, you bring me to an end. Now the point that Hezekiah is talking about, we see this in, uh, in, the, uh, in the Psalms as well. The idea, day to night, what's he talking about? From birth to death. God's the one who brings us to the end. From birth to death. He's the one who cuts me off the weaver's beam. He's the one who rolls up my tent. God's the one who, who ultimately knows the number of our days. David would say, teach me, give me the heart of wisdom. Teach me to what? Number my days. Number my days that I might apply the heart of wisdom. Which means what? You're not going to live forever. So what are you waiting for? Maybe you get tomorrow... Maybe you get today. I don't know. I just know while there's breath in our lungs, there ought to be something we do with it, right? There ought to be some purpose, some focus that we're moving toward because we are guaranteed one thing. It is appointed unto man once to die and then judgment. Everybody dies. Everybody's going to Apart from the Lord's return, everybody's going to find that moment when we cross from this life to the next. So he's saying, look, my life is in God's hands, and if my life ends, that's the end of everything. It's the end of all opportunity. He says, like a swallow or a crane, I chirp, I moan like a dove. So he's, he's referencing his crying. My eyes are weary with looking upward. He's looking up for God's deliverance. Oh, Lord, I am oppressed. What's he oppressed by? He's not oppressed by the Lord. He's oppressed by death. It's not until later on when Paul would write, Oh, death, where is your victory? Death, where is your sting? The sting of, of death was, was sin. And sin has been destroyed by whom? Jesus Christ at the cross, right? So death has been destroyed. Now death is a gateway to the presence of God. But don't you see, for Hezekiah, death was a gateway to Sheol. The grave, the place where the either the best you could hope for is to be in the place of the righteous dead, because if you're in the place of the unrighteous dead, that's bad. 
So was the end of everything you knew. Hezekiah's upset about it. He's afraid of it. He's, he says, I'm oppressed. I'm oppressed. Be my pledge of safety, calling out for the Lord. What shall I say? For he has spoken to me. He has done it. I will, I walk slowly all my years because of the bitterness of my soul. He poured out his heart to the Lord. God, this, I, I'm afraid. I'm oppressed. My, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to live now. I'm trying to make these last days last as long as they can, right? It has been said, your heart only beats so much. That's why I don't run. Because if you run, your heart beats faster. You get all your beats out. Then you die ahead of time. And people tell me all the time, Jackie, you're crazy. And I just say, Jim, fix. And if you're too young, look him up. If you don't know who Jim Fix is, look him up. He wrote a Bible. Did you know that? It's called the Runner's Bible. How did it work for him? So far, I have outlived him. Every year, I have outlived him more, and I don't run at all. So, I'm just saying, you can, you can, uh, you can dream of, you know, look... I know Jason. Jason's going to get skinny tomorrow. Jason's going to get skinny, and he's going to run, and he's going to be all trim, and that's great, and, I, and I'm, I hope that it works out for him. But my youth has passed me by, so stop sending me 5K, go run a 5K with Jason. No. I'll ride the motorcycle next to him and tell him, keep going. Y'all, get along, little doggy. I'll be happy to do that. Y'all keep <laughs> So that I know there's, there's no getting back the glory days. I let them go. It's okay. So, but here Hezekiah, so this is what Hezekiah is struggling with. Now, what's, what's the rest like? You know, I, I had a friend who, uh, God called home. Um, they lost their battle with cancer. Uh, but they lived for probably two years. The, the doctors had said they probably only live a couple weeks. So they, they made it two years, two good years, not two years of suffering under chemotherapy. They didn't do any chemo, they, uh, but they chose to live. They trusted God, and they lived every day as much as they could until, you know, the end came. And when the end came, they sat up in bed, took a deep breath, smiled, and laid their head down. And went to Jesus. And there's something good about that, right? Just learning to trust God for that final walk. That final part of our journey. So, hey look, Hezekiah, he's, he's pouring out his hard heart to the Lord. But he also understands that God's hand is in it. Look, he says, oh Lord, verse 16... By these things men live, and in all these is the life of my spirit. Oh, restore me to health and make me live. Is it wrong to ask God to heal you? No. Look, God's, God's sovereign, and He's, I don't want this to sound irreverent, He's big boy. He can either heal you or not. Right? If God doesn't heal you, then we've got to be okay with it. But we don't have to be afraid to ask. There's nothing in the Bible that says, don't ask me to heal you. Hey, if you ask, it's the only James tells us we have not because we 
Ask not. Well, I'm not going to be afraid to ask. But I'm not going to be derailed if God says no. Right? It, it just reminds me of this guy. And it's not exactly the same thing, but you remember that guy, Balaam? Anybody remember Balaam? Balaam's a prophet. And he's, he gets an opportunity to get paid to prophesy. And in those days, not very many prophets got paid. Right? Nobody, what, what, there's no, you know, gather the offering to send to the prophet. Most people wanted the prophet dead. And they didn't want to hear what he had to say. So Balaam gets an offer from the enemy of the children of Israel to come prophesy for him, and he'll give him a bunch of gold. So he asked God, can I do this? And God says, no. So that should be good enough, right? So Balaam says, okay. He calls the king, says, I can't do it. God said, no. And the king says, I'll fill your house up with gold. So he asks him again, God, can I go do this? And God says, no. He calls the king and he says, well, he doesn't call me. He doesn't have a phone, but you get the idea. He gets a hold of the, he gets a hold of the king. He says, yeah, I, I can't come. God said, no. He said, man, come on. We really need you. I, I will give you more gold than you can ever imagine. So he asked God again. God says, go. But only say what I tell you to say. So he gets all excited. And just so you and I know that God had already told him no twice, and that's what he meant. On the way, his donkey stops. You remember? And he starts beating the donkey. And then God opens his eyes. The donkey says, what are you beating me for? And Balaam's so mad, he don't even flip out about the donkey talking. He just talks back. Because you won't go. He says, because there's an angel with a sword, dude. I stopped because that angel's going to take your head off. And the angel looks at him and says, yeah, if your donkey didn't stop, I was going to kill you. What does that mean? That means God said, don't go. But he's, he wants to go. So he says, well, so God reiterates. Now he's deadly serious. Only say what I tell you to say. So he goes. First time he goes to prophesy against the children of Israel, blessing comes out. And the king's like, dude, I'm not paying you if you bless them. And he said, look, I can only say what God told me to say. So he goes up and the second time and he tries to curse the people and blessing comes out. And the king gets really mad. I'm not going to give you no gold. You aren't getting not one piece of gold. You keep blessing them. And he says, look, I can only say what God tells me to say. So he goes back up and he goes to prophesy again. Now he prophesies seven blessings. So the first two was not enough. He just starts popping off blessing, blessing, blessing. King is all kinds of upset. But Balaam's thinking, man, I still like to get some of that gold. What did God say? Don't say nothing I didn't tell you to say. So he looks over at the king and he says, you know, if you want God to curse the people, just send down bunch of harlots with idols in their pockets. Get the young men to sleep with them and they'll fall into idolatry and God will judge them himself. Did God tell them to say that? Only say what God told me to say. So Balaam goes down. Every time I think, you know, when I think about what what is it, what is the purpose, what is the goal, why am I, am I kicking a door that God's saying, look, you should leave his door shut. Because if, if you leave this door shut, Balaam, you'll live. 
But if you don't leave his door shut, at least don't say nothing I didn't tell you to say. What's the one thing he did? He said something God told him not to say, and what happened? He died with gold in his pockets in the camp of the enemy. Far as I know, never prophesied another word for God again. I want to kick doors open. If God closes the door, leave it shut. If God says yes, let him open it. If he opens it, walk through it. If he closes it, look around for something else. Be okay with it. You know how many people are not okay? How many, how many, how many guys are, are chasing a girl where God's closed the door? How many girls are chasing a guy? God closed the door. How many people are chasing a job? God closed the door. Or chasing a whatever. Want to buy a house where God closed the door. Kathy and I were trying to buy that dang yellow house. I think it's yellow. On 9th Street. Is it 9th? That beautiful two-story house. I love that. I still love that house. That's a favorite house. All the houses we went and looked at. And for some reason, I could not beg that bank to take my money. I'm trying to give them money. I'm trying to hand them money. It's like I'm walking in with a suitcase full of money. Can I buy this house? No. What do you mean no? As we keep trying and we keep trying and we keep trying. Finally, I told Kathy, look, God said no. God said no. And that house caught on fire. I'm glad I didn't keep kicking. I'd be sitting in a house with a big giant hole in the roof wondering how I'm going to fix it too. So the... The idea, we don't want to keep pushing where God's closed. We want to just be able to accept the things that God's word lays out for us, what God says. He says in verse 17, look, behold, it was for my welfare that I had great bitterness. But in love you have delivered me from the pit of destruction, for you have cast all my sins behind your back. He says it was for my own good that I went through all that hard stuff. One day we'll all say that. It's for my own good. That I went through all that stuff. Maybe it's the day when God's hand is on your cheek and He's wiping away all your sorrow. But we'll say it. And that was for my good because all of that made, made it so this day was possible. Right? Not trying to force my own will, my own way. And then He praises God in verse 18 For Sheol does not thank you. Death does not praise you. Those who go down to the pit do not hope for your faithfulness. The living, the living, he thanks you as I do this day. The Father makes known to the children your faithfulness. The Lord will save me. And we will uh, play my music on stringed instruments all the days of our lives at the house of the Lord. So of course, Hezekiah is happy. God did something he wanted. Right? He's happy. God answered his prayer in the affirmative. He gets more time. He's praising God. That's awesome. And there's nothing wrong with it. And I don't, I don't actually take no uh, pot shots at Hezekiah, you know. Uh, I don't think Hezekiah did anything wrong. I think the next, his son is going to be the greatest picture of grace there is in the entire Old Testament. His son's an amazing story, even though he's one of the wickedest kings to ever walk the face of the earth. But it's the greatest picture of grace. Great picture of what a bunch of knucklehead broken people we are. So those are good things. But Hezekiah, I want to I be able to praise God even when he tells me no. I want to be able to praise God even when I say, Lord, heal me. And he says no. Or I ask for more time and he says no. 
Or I ask for this door to be open, and he says no. Or I ask for that door to be open, and he says no. If God says no, then God says no. I can be okay with it, right? Just be sure it's God, right? Did God say no? Am I saying no? Am I reading no? How do I, how do I make sure? I just go before the Lord. God, is this you? Are you closing this door? Give me peace. Walk away. Help me lay it down. You think God doesn't want to do that? What guarantee he does? You don't think God wants you to walk with him successfully? For sure. So we call on his name. Lord, show me. Now we get a look back. He, Isaiah tells him, here's what I want you to do. Isaiah said, uh, let them take a cake of figs, apply it to the boil that he may recover. So somehow he's got rashes or, or boils, something that, that's a part of his illness. Uh, so they tell him to put that on. And then Hezekiah asks, what's the sign uh, that I shall go up to the house of the Lord? And the idea is not, well, what, what's the sign that God's going to do this? No, when you had a skin condition, you couldn't go to the house of the Lord. You guys tracking with me? So leprosy was not always what we know as Hansen's disease, where fingers fall off or stuff. Uh, leprosy, biblical leprosy, could be any kind of uncleanness on the skin. Any uh, psoriasis would have been considered a, a leprosy in, in those days. It would put them outside of being able to worship in the temple. So because he has whatever he has, the rashes, the boils, whatever he has on his body, he's not able to go to the house of the Lord and praise. So when they put the poultice on, what's he, what he's saying is, when can I go? I want to get back to God's presence. I want to go to the place that signifies God is here and I want to praise him there. I want to spend my days honoring God. And Hezekiah does that for the most part. Next chapter, he's dumb for a little while. We'll see what happens when we get dumb in chapter 39. But for the most part, Hezekiah is a good king. He does well. He trusts God. The lesson for us is the same. Will we trust him? When we get that bad news... Well, we say, I trust you, though you slay me. I always love that line in Job. Though you slay me, yet will I praise you. That's the heart I want to have. I hope that's the heart you have as well. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this time as we study the book of Isaiah. We thank you for the opportunity that we have, God, just to uh, search the pages of Scripture. God, to make... Uh, Make a connection with these heroes of old and how they can encourage us, how they encourage us today to walk with you, be the men and women that you want us to be. So God, I just pray that, that you would go before us in a mighty way, that you put our, our hope and our trust in you, that no matter what, wherever we are on our journey today, we are there because it passed through the hands of the God who loves us. So help us be at peace with where we are right now. Enjoy today. Live today. Don't, don't look at what we don't have. Don't look at what we hope to have. Just look at what God has blessed us with right now and celebrate the things that God has gifted us. God, help us to have eyes that are able to praise you even when we're disappointed in the circumstances around us. And though you slay us, may we praise you, God. May we look to you. May we call, not be afraid to call on your name 
that you might heal, that you might extend life, that you might deliver. Never afraid to ask, but I'm okay if you don't. I always want to have the prayer of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Oh, King, our God is able to deliver, but even if he doesn't, I'm not going to bow. I trust him. Lord, we pray. If we have to go in the fire, we thank you that you're there with us. If we have to go through the valley of the shadow of death, we thank you that you are there with us. Wherever we go, whether we're delivered, carried through, or lifted above, we can look to you as our great deliverer. And we give you praise and glory for it in Jesus' name. Amen. poor and powerless and all the lost and lonely and all the thieves will come confess and know that you are holy 